Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. So we welcome you to our Jesus House Bible study. This one is a little bit different um, due to the fact that we're on a, a bank holiday. We thought that we would make sure that the podcast goes out and that we are able to complete our study on God bringing in the new. We've covered quite a few topics. And if you're listening by podcast, you are most welcome. We're quite excited that you're here and we hope you have a re- as m- a good a time as you would have normally. And so what we're going to do first is just to do a quick recap. We, we're on the last three topics. And so I'll just cover very quickly the ones that we have done already. The first thing we wanted, to, the first thing we covered was God will always proceed the new with revelation. And so we covered that the first week. And then we covered that God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit will always work together to bring the new into reality. We went on to look at that God and man will work in tandem. Then we looked at God will always expect the response of belief. We looked at God will always work through the medium of obedience. God will make the newer reality by an exertion of his power. And then we looked at God will always birth the new in your life when you're alone with him. A period of whereby he has your complete and utter attention. And then we said the new will be born because a restlessness or a discontentment will set in and that will give birth to the new season of your life. And it's been a wonderful, um, it's been an absolutely wonderful session so far. And so let's dive in. We're going to dive into the last three topics and hope we hope you have an absolutely amazing time. And so the next thing we're going to look at is this. And it is... God will always require you to confront what scares you the most when he is about to bring the new into place. He will always require you to what to confront what scares you the most when he's about to bring the new into place. And that's something that we see all over. So if you have a look at, um, we'll run through a few scriptures to start and then we'll look at this in detail. If Abraham, as we've looked at Abraham a bit this over the last few weeks. And so in Abraham's case, in Genesis chapter 20, and reading from verses 10 to 13, that's Genesis 20, 10 to 13. And Abraham has found himself in a situation that he's been in twice before, where he is dealing with a king and he's asked his wife to say, this is my sister. But now as his season is about to change. God is about to bring the new into his life. He has to confront that. And this is how it happens in Genesis 20 verses 10 to 13. And I'm going to read from the Bible in basic English. Um, and I'll read. And Abimelech said to Abraham, why did you do this thing? And Abraham said, because it seemed to me that there was no fear of God in this place and that they might put me to death because of my wife. And in fact, she is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. 
And when God sent me wandering from my father's house, I said to her, let this be a sign of your love for me. Wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. And then Abraham's, then the story of um, Abraham praying for Abimelech comes in and it's quite remarkable. And we find that and it's quite remarkable to see. And so we realize that just as the Lord is about to turn Abraham's season, he's about to bring the new into his life. We realize God causes him to confront what has scared him the most. And it's very interesting that that happens because we see it time and time again. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, reading from verse 1 to 6, 1 Samuel chapter 30, reading from verses 1 to 6, we realize David has the same experience. David comes to a situation where his life is about to turn. He's trained 400 men. Things are about to change for him, as we realize when we read on in, in the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. But now a pivotal time comes and God causes him to confront what scares him the most. And if you, I'll read from verses one to six, it is quite heartwarming. And now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites made an attack on the south and on Ziklag and had overcome Ziklag and put it on fire and had made the women and all who were there small and great prisoners. And they had not put any of them to death, but had taken them all away. And when David and his men came to the town, they saw it had been burned down and their wives and their sons and daughters had been made prisoners. Then David and the people who were with him gave themselves up to weeping till they were able to go on weeping no longer. And David's two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the wife of Nabal of Carmel, had been made prisoners. And David was greatly troubled for the people were talking of stoning him because their hearts were bitter, every man sorrowing for his sons and his daughters. But David made himself strong in the Lord his God. Now, the reason this is quite important is when you read David's story, when you read his story in 1 Samuel verse 16, where he's introduced into history, you realize that he is suffering a great deal of rejection we don't and the bible actually doesn't say why there are in there there are um clues over the bible but it doesn't actually say why and so rejection is one of the things that david has to face he's when samuel comes he's left out in the field his father doesn't even consider him worthy to be considered to go in front of samuel to be um presented as a future king. Now, what we begin to realize is, so rejection is something he has fought with over his life. You realize, ladies and gentlemen, that as his life is about to change, he has to face that again. The people that he has trained, the people that he has worked with, the 400 men that he has taken from being in debt, in distress and being discontented, who have become the premier fighting force in Israel, all of a sudden are now thinking that, you know what, let's stone him because of what has happened. The Bible says that he says something, and please keep this in mind as you think about the Lord bringing the new into your world. The Bible says, but David made himself strong in the Lord, and he leant on and trusted in the God who had brought him thus far. And so we realize, and then the story unfolds, and again, it's preacher's material, but it just indicates, ladies and gentlemen, that when God is about to bring the new into your life, 
he will ask you to confront what scares you the most, what you have to focus on, what's something that has literally holds you back. And the last person we'll look at, um, there are other examples, but we'll just do three. And the last person we'll look at is Joshua 1 verses 1 to 9. Now, Joshua's case is quite remarkable. Joshua has a very unusual task. He has to follow on from Moses. Now, the Bible says that God's relationship with Moses was only excelled by God's relationship with Jesus Christ. It is something special. Um, and Joshua has to take over from him. And so when we read Joshua 1, reading from verses 1 to 9, I want you to keep this in the backdrop, in the backdrop of your mind that as God is speaking to Joshua, some of the words and some of this, the verses are really famous, but he's speaking to a man who is on the edge of his new, but he has to confront probably what scares him the most. And what scares him the most is stepping into Moses' shoes and leading a people, the people of Israel, in such a way so that they will get to where God wants them to get to. And so, ladies and gentlemen, what we'll do is let's read from Joshua 1, Joshua 1, and we'll read to verse 9. Joshua 1, and we will read to verse 9. So I'll start reading, and I'll, and I'll read it from the Bible in basic English. And the Bible says the following, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' helper, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. So now get up, go over Jordan, you and all this people, into the land which I am giving them to the children of Israel. Every place on which you put your foot, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wasteland and this mountain Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, in the west will be your country. While you are living, all will give way before you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not take away my help from you or give you up. Then verse 6 kicks in. Take heart and be strong, for you will give to this people for their heritage the land which I gave by oath. Which, which I gave by an oath to their fathers. Verse 7. Only take heart and be very strong. Take care to do all the law which Moses my servant gave you, not turning from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you may do well in all your undertakings. Verse 8. Let this book of the law be ever on your lips and in your thoughts day and night, so that you may keep with care everything in it. Then a blessing will be on all your way and you will do well. Verse 9. Have I not given you orders? Take heart and be strong. Have no fear and do not be troubled. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, the reason this is an amazing piece of scripture is this. Remember that Joshua has been trained, literally trained from very young, to be Moses' assistant. He was anointed in public. He was celebrated. Where Moses went to, to spend 40 days with the Lord, Joshua goes with him. Where Moses leaves the presence of the Lord, the Bible said Joshua stayed there. Joshua had seen God. He believed in God, but he's come to his turning point. And this is something I want you to realize. When you're about to step into the new, when 
God is about to make the new a reality or put you on the process of making the new a reality, what you must realize is he will cause you to confront what has scared you the most. So listen, this doesn't sound like the same Joshua who literally said, let us take the, let's go into the land and let's take that, let's take them down. They are bread for us. And he still believed God. But the reality was there was something God wanted him to deal with. And so notice the encouragement that God gives Joshua as he begins his journey on his own without Moses. So ladies and gentlemen, I want you to realize when you find yourself being confronted with what scares you the most, don't panic. It is part of God moving you from one level to another, and it's only going to shake you once. Because once you begin, all of a sudden, if you think about it, all of a sudden, something that you've done, what the first time you do it, it's going to be a challenge. But from then on, by God's special grace, it will work out. And then all of a sudden, you can do it well. And so keep this in mind. And so let's look at that. And so what scares us the most? Think about it. It was not something that sat in reality. It was a perception. It was something that... what. Um, had come to be real in the lives of the people that we were talking about. And so this is something I want you to consider as, as we go through, as we begin to bring this point to a close. What scares you the most is based not in how God has treated you, what he has said, or his ability to get done. It is rooted somewhere else. And that means, let's put it this way, what scares or what's standing in your way of you stepping into the new is going to be based on something outside of God. And because it is based on something outside of God, when you walk with God, remember we've said that your relationship with God at this particular point in time is really key. Your relationship with God, what God makes a reality in your life is going to help you overcome it. Um, and God will then literally take you from where you are and move you into your tomorrow. Let me give you an example. Um, uh, let me give you a, a, um, an example of this so that we can look at how God does it. One of my favorites, uh, when I say one of my favorite Psalms is Psalms 23, it's probably one of the most popular Psalms. But this is where the Lord presents himself as, his, as our shepherd. And so this is something that I want to focus on. I want us to have a look at the, the framework that God puts together here is something that I want you to keep in mind as you go into the new. And it's this. So let's read. The Bible says from Psalm 23, verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters and um, then the Bible says, verse three, he restoreth my soul. And then he says, he leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So I'm going to pause there. What you'll notice, the word reading from the King James Version of the Bible, verse one is, is, is very clear. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means because the Lord is your shepherd, he's the one who is leading you. He's the one who is responsible for you. He's the one who is guiding you. The Bible clearly states that nothing that you have need of will be lacking or missing because that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd makes sure the sheep are all right. That's his role. 
And so that's something. So as you come to confront whatever scares you, you're not confronting it alone. Please keep that in mind. This next thing I want you to realize is verse two. Verse two says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Then the Bible says, he leadeth me beside the still waters. It's very interesting. First, God will find what you need and he will get you there and enable you to experience it. He maketh me to lie down. He causes you to lie down. That means what God needs to happen in your life through his interaction with you, he will make sure what you need becomes a reality. Please keep that in mind. And so we realize God in his um, infinite wisdom will cause you to find and experience what you need the most. But then the Bible uses a word, and this is the word I want to focus on. And the word I want to focus on is, is he leadeth me beside the still waters. And it's indicative of God restoring who you are, the process of, of how God is doing it. And this is why I want you to think about it. The Bible says, when it says he leadeth me beside still waters, the word leadeth there actually means the following. Um, and I'm going to look into, I'm going to use strong. So it means to sparkle or to flow. That is to conduct, to protect or sustain, to carry feed, guide, or lead gently on. That means when God is beginning to lead you, he will do it gently. He will do it at your pace. It will be, you will find yourself in a flow where God is literally, the Bible says he's leading you beside the still waters. He's making sure you get what you need. There will be, it will be literally him carrying you that's the first part so and that's so when you find yourself so you're going into the new the first season that you are to expect is the lord making things happen the lord carrying the lord leading you at your pace working with you very similar to the way you would train a child now the next thing the bible says is verse 23 verse 3 it says he restoreth my soul and that's something that i want you to keep in mind the bible says that he will to restore means literally to turn back or restore to an original state where we get the word healing from where we get the word sozo from and so what we realize is god puts back into you what is required for you to function appropriately so that's what we realize when it says he restoreth my soul that means you will begin to think believe imagine and perceive and decide the way god wants you to which effectively will change your life so god's interaction with you will go from just being a flow and a gentle whereby god is making sure things are happening whereby he's now making sure you are part of the process you can make good choices and all of a sudden then he's literally causing you to grow up effectively then the bible says something else he says he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake now this is the word leadeth it's the same word in english but it's a different word in hebrew this time where the bible says leadeth and this is what i want you to think about when god causes you to confront the new 
this time you have been effectively refreshed, you have been comforted, you have been restored, you are now ready for a new part or a new assignment. And the Bible says God leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The word leadeth there is different. And that means, it means to guide, but it also means to transport into exile or as colonists. That means God will take you where you need to be because he's now trained you. So please keep this in mind. He has now prepared you to confront what has scared you the most, but it is on the other side of what scares you the most. Your destiny, your hopes, your aspirations are going to be waiting for you. And so what I want you to begin to realize is when you look at Psalm 23, from the moment verse three happens, the miraculous shows up. The Bible then says, I read from the King James Version of the Bible. And verse four says the following, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Verse five says, thou, as in God, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then the Bible says, thou anointest my head with oil and my cup runneth over. And the Bible then says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I want you to begin to keep this in mind. When the Lord is bringing the new in and you are asked to confront what has scared you the most, please remember, God will only make it happen when he has deemed you ready to win the fight. So all you have to do is go forward. And that's something I want you to hold on to. God has made you ready to win or beat whatever has scared you the most so that the new will come into reality. Take a look at all the examples in the Bible. You find that every time the people that Lord, the Lord leads confronts what scares them the most, the next season of their life is quite remarkable. And so ladies and gentlemen, when God is bringing the new in, he will get you to confront what scares you the most. And this is the beautiful thing. The reason I use Psalm 23 is he will not let it happen until you are ready to face it and to win. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go on. So let's go on to the next point. Um, although I'm having fun, I'm very conscious. I want to make sure that this is just right. The next thing we want to look at, and it's, it's this. When God is bringing the new in, God will always create the environment before he makes the new a reality. That means he will create an environment that makes what he's about to ask you to do. The environment will be waiting for you that the moment you add whatever God has asked you to bring, there will be an explosion of success. And this is something I want you to keep in mind. Remember that when God is bringing the new in, so let's, we'll look at a couple of things. We'll use actually the classic example, the first time you see it in the Bible, um, or not the first time, one of the early times we see it in the Bible. 
and we'll start and so for this um, section we'll turn to Genesis chapter 2 reading from verses 18 to 20 Genesis 2 verses 18 to 20 we're going to look at how God brings the new in but he's going to bring the new in this is where he's bringing it in the garden of Eden it's one of the beautiful things that we see and so we'll look at the pattern there and you'll realize that God will create the environment for what he's about to make happen in your life before he makes it a reality. That means literally the phrase is terraforming. He will create the circumstances that will make what you bring to the party a success or a viable option. And so let's have a look at this. Let's see whether this is the case. Turn with me please to Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, and we're going to be, we're going to read from 18. Um, they are famous verses, and, and so we're going to read from 18. And the Bible says the following. Um, and I'll read from the, um, actually, let me read from, I'll read from the King James Version of the Bible first, and then I'm, I'll go to the Amplified Version of the Bible. Actually, I may, let me go to the Amplified. Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 18. And I'm going to read from the Amplified Classic Version of the Bible. Okay. And the Bible says the following. Now the Lord God said, it is not good, sufficient, satisfactory that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, suitable, adapted, complementary for him. And the Bible says, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every wild beast and every living creature of the field and every bird of the air brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was its name. And Adam gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the air and to every wild beast of the field. The Bible then says, but for Adam, there was not found a helper meet suitable, adapted, complementary for him. So let's keep this in mind. God is about to bring a whole new into the world. He's about to say, you know what? I need to make a help meet for this man. I'm going to, it's, the Bible says, it is not good that the man be alone. Alone, not lonely, alone, or you could. So that effectively means that, listen, I need the next step for him is a relationship. So it's got to grow. And that's what I'm going to create. The Lord says, I'm going to make it happen because he said, it's not good. That means it's not according to my plans or purposes. It doesn't fit the picture that I have in my heart. And you'll notice from Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 2, you realize whenever God creates something, he compares it with the picture on his insight. And so when the Bible says he creates light, the Bible in Genesis 1 from verses 1 to 3, when God creates the light, when God says, let there be light and there was light. And the Bible says, and God saw the light and that it was good. He compares it to what he sees on his insight. So now he has settled the man. He's put the garden there, the trees have grown, the man has a responsibility for the garden, and then he says something, he says, it is not good. And so something I want you to remember is if you look at Genesis 1 verse 27, Genesis 1 verse 27, 
the law, the Bible is very specific. The Bible says that God made man in his image. In the image of God made he him. Male and female made he them. Meaning that this was the picture that God said, this is how this whole thing is going to run. So he realizes for just to have the male man, then this is, this. it's not, it's not according to the picture. So let's, I'm going to do it. So I'm going to bring the new because it had never been seen before. I'm going to bring the new into his world. And then the Bible says in verses 19 and 20, God doesn't create the woman first. He takes the man through a process. There are two sermons. There are many sermons here. One of them is that he prepares the man to respond for when he brings in the woman. He prepares it. But also in this search, he sets the tone or he creates the environment, meaning that when I bring the new into this environment, it will be the most viable option. It is going to be perfectly suited for what I'm about to bring it. So literally God shapes the environment. So he creates all the animals, brings them all to Adam and Adam puts them in order. He, he speaks what he sees in God's heart and he speaks them over the animals and they the what his words stand. But what he does is a process of elimination is taking place. By the time everything else is named, none of them fit the bill of God's project of saying, I will make you a helpmeet suitable or adapted to you. So when God says, right, let me now bring in the new and I'm going to change the methods. And so this time he puts the man to sleep. He takes a rib out of the man and he makes a woman. The Bible says then he brings the woman to the man. And why is it so perfectly suited? Because no other creature could fit that bill. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we realize that when God is going to bring the new into the world, he will create the environment that will make it the most successful option before he makes the newer reality. And so ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to realize is you're part of a process. You're in a journey to the new. So God is working even while he's beginning to shape it on your inside. He's beginning to shape what you see, what you know. He's creating the environment. He's put things together. So when you now respond to him in this season, know for a fact that he has gone before you to make what he's asked you to do, which may have never been seen before, to be the most viable and the most effective option. And that's something that God, and he does it throughout. And you'll realize this is something that God does. Why? Because the new only becomes a necessity where we have a crisis in the old. And I'll explain crisis in a minute. The crisis is that there's nothing in the current sphere. There's nothing in the current scenario that will meet the need. So I'm going to do something new. That means I'm going to 
add something to the scenario. I'm going to do things in a way that have, may have never been done before. I'm going to kick in a process that has never been seen before. And I want you to think, when you're thinking about the new, let's go to another scripture so we can look at that. Can you turn in your Bibles and we'll then come back to this. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, reading from 8 to 10. We looked at this earlier and it will be fun to look at it again. And I'm going to read from verse 8. Um, I will read... And I'm going to read from the Bible in basic English. And this is Paul's speaking about the wisdom of God. And so to, for, for accuracy or for, for, for a complete presentation, let me read from verse 7. And the Bible says, But we give the news of the secret wisdom of God, which he had kept in store before the world came into existence for our glory. Then the verse, the verse 8 says, of which not one of the rulers of this world had knowledge. For if they had, they would not have put the Lord of glory on the cross. So please keep this in mind. What God knows and what God has planned for you is not common knowledge to all that may stand against you or want to limit you. It definitely is not common knowledge in hell because if they understood what God was going to do through Jesus Christ, they would never have crucified. And they would have made sure that, listen, make sure he stays alive. Because if he dies, mankind is free. And if he comes back from the dead, this thing is done. And so the Bible says that the rulers of this world, whether they be physical or spiritual, had no knowledge of what God was planning. And so ladies and gentlemen, I want you to please keep this in mind. When we speak of the new, this is what God is about to make happen. Verse nine and 10, the Bible says, but as it says in the holy writings, things which the eye saw not and which had not come to the ears or into the heart of man, such things as God has made ready for those who have love for him. That means it has not been imagined, it's not been perceived, it's not been planned for. This is something that completely outruns the usual or the normal. And then the Bible says, verse 10, but God has given us the revelation of these things through his spirit, for the spirit makes search into all things, even the deep things of God. So in your relationship with God, as God is making the new re real to you, he's going to bring something that probably has never been seen before. They will not realize, and let me say this carefully, they will not see you coming. A level of ministry, what you're about to do, where you're about to step into, what God has planned for you or put together. Please remember, this is a something brand new. Now, before God brings it into reality, before your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations or your desires become a reality, he will have created the environment before he introduces you. And that means not being introduced into a situation where you are likely to fail. You are being introduced into a situation that has been created for your 
success. Now, that doesn't mean what you're being introduced into is going to be cream cheese and pie. It's not the case. You may go into an absolute nightmare, but your involvement will change the outcome of what you see. But the environment has been created. A couple of examples you think about. I mean, one of the examples that I want you to realize is, notice, the value of Abraham giving his son to the Lord in Genesis 22 was set up by a 25-year journey of looking for a child. A 25-year journey that led a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman to having a child. It created the environment that what is being done is literally, it's so unique that God said, this holds eternal sway. And all of a sudden we see Abraham's life change forever. But also you see the impact of that. And so what had happened, the journey that Abraham had gone through created the environment for him to be a success. Now also think about it this way, Joseph's journey that we spoke of, we've spoken about previously, Joseph's journey to interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh. You'll find that Genesis 39, Genesis 40, and Genesis 41. You realize that Joseph's journey to where he's standing in front of Pharaoh has created a, an environment for what Joseph is about to do to become successful. And Joseph interpreting the dreams was the hinge pin of a promise made to Abraham 400 years before, where God said to Abraham in Genesis 15, reading from verse six, reading from verses seven to nine, you realize that God said, listen, your children will go into captivity, but I'm going to bring them out and I will bring them out with great wealth and I will judge the nation that keeps them in captivity. Joseph's experience where he, interprets the dream of Pharaoh, becoming prime minister of Egypt, and then being there to take Israel into Egypt in a safe place to preserve God's posterity, you realize that that environment was created before God said, Joseph, okay, now interpret the dream. And I want you to realize God's doing exactly the same with you exactly the same with you. So let's talk about a crisis. A crisis, think about, when you're thinking about a crisis, I want you to realize, um, when you're thinking about a crisis, if you think about a chess match, a che when your two players are playing chess, if one of them does something that is completely new, moves one of the pieces in a very unusual way, it creates a crisis requiring a response from the person he's playing. That in essence is what a crisis is. It is a situation that demands a response to produce something that may never have been seen before. And so I want you to think about this and there's a, a scripture comes to my mind and I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, reading from verse 13. And the Bible says the following, 
For no temptation, no trial regarding as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience and such as man can bear. But God is faithful to his word and to his compassionate nature and he can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried and assayed beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way out, the means of escape to a landing place that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. Ladies and gentlemen, what does that verse tell us? That no matter what goes on around you, God is creating an environment that when he introduces the new through your life, through the preparation he's put within you, through his relationship with you, through your words, your thoughts, your actions, through what he's about to ask you to do from the way he's going to ask you to do it. What he's saying is that no matter what that environment is, God has provided a, the phrase used is, a landing place, a safe landing place that will allow you to ride out the storm and that it will turn around for God's glory. And this is something I want you to keep in mind. A crisis simply demands a response from you. That's what a crisis is. And so when we're facing a crisis, remember, most likely it is part of the process of the environment being created to make the new viable. Do not be afraid. And so let's go to the last point as we begin to bring this to a close. And I hope you've had a lot of fun. And the last point is this. Um, the last thing about the new and God bringing the new into the world is this. And I want you to think about this and this is where we'll close out. When the new is introduced into the world, the new will always produce results that have never been seen before. Let me repeat that. The new will always produce results that have never been seen before. And if you look throughout the Bible, and this is, we'll, we'll go through, this is some fun stuff. <laughs> You'll realize that every time the new was introduced, the plans and the purposes of God were put back on track or moved forward. Uh, moved exponentially forward, but you also realize that results that had never been seen before were now placed into reality. Think about it. The element of family had never been seen before, but once the woman is introduced into the Garden of Eden, bang, all of a sudden, hell panics because it had never been seen before. And all of a sudden, things had gone to a brand new level. And if you go through the Bible, you realize that this is actually the case. It's quite remarkable when you begin to think about it. And one of the scriptures I want to, to pick on here before we look at the examples is Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5 is a great scripture. And it, it just says something is this. Habakkuk 1, and I'm going to read from verse 5. 
The Bible says, see among the nations and take note and be full of wonder. For in your days I am doing a work in which you will have no belief, even if news of it is given to you. Basically, God is about to do something in your life that if somebody was to tell you, this is what your tomorrow looks like, you would literally not believe it. When God introduces the new into the world, he introduces results that nobody could imagine and have never been seen before. And that is the journey that you're going on. So even though you're facing a situation that might be an absolute nightmare, that might be an amazing opportunity or nobody has seen it before, don't panic. This is what God does. Think about it. When you think, um, let me use one example to drive this home. There, there are loads of others, but let me use Ruth's example. And there, so to keep this in focus, I want you to understand something. Ruth was a Moabite. And God's anger with the Moabites was intense um, for a good reason. And I'm going to read it to you. Um, Deuteronomy 23, and I'm going to read from 3 to 6. And this is what the Lord says about the Moabite nation. And he says, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their people to the 10th generation may come into the meeting of the Lord's people because they gave you no bread or water on your way when you came out of Egypt and they got Balaam, the son of Peor from Pethor in Aram Naharim to put curses on you. But the Lord God would not give ear to Balaam, but let the curse be changed into a blessing to you because of his love for you. Do nothing for their peace or well-being forever. Now, what I want you to realize is that meant in hell and in anybody's thinking, anyone who was an Ammonite or a Moabite was outside the reach of God or ever imagine him using somebody from one of those tribes. Now, you must realize Ruth is a Moabite. So when God faces a challenge, and the challenge is as follows. I want you to keep the challenge that, that Ruth solves in mind. And it is found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Matthew 1, and we're going to read verse 5. And the Bible says, and the son of Salmon by Rahab was Boaz. Now, what I want you to realize is that means in Israel, an Israelite marries Rahab from, that's the lady from the fall of Jericho. Rahab is not only a Canaanite, but she is, um, she has a profession that you wouldn't really want to discuss around your Sunday dinner. It's one of those kind of professions. And so nobody wanted to marry Boaz. He was one of the richest men in Bethlehem. He had servants, he had lands, but no one wanted to be near him for a very simple reason. They didn't want to mar their lineage. And so a crisis had been created in that I need Boaz to marry because he is generation seven of a 10 generation journey. And the enemy thought that he had won that I'm going to make sure nobody marries Boaz. Everybody will remember who his mother is. Nobody will want him in, a, in their family. And so God says, I have to introduce the new. 
And so what does God do? He reaches into a place that nobody expects him to reach into. And the Bible says when Naomi and Elimelech go into Moab, God begins to put his plan into action. Ruth's response, Ruth coming into relationship with Jehovah and her response that you find in Ruth 4 verses 18 to 22 produces results that have that had at that time never been seen before on two levels first god uses a moabite to bridge the gap in his journey of keeping the lineage of israel intact so that it gets to david second ruth is at least 15 years 15 to 20 years outside of her childbearing age. She lives with her husband for 10 years, no children. Her and Naomi make the journey back to Israel. We don't know how many years after that the boys had been dead, that the, that the Lord turned the seasons of Israel. They make the journey back and it must have taken them a good year and a half. And the Bible says that they arrive back in Israel at the time of the barley harvest. So that's another two or three years. The Bible says she's there for the barley and the wheat harvests. So that is another year. We don't know how long. So we're looking now 14 to 15 years out of season. Boaz decides to marry her. So right now she is way beyond the flower of her youth. And the Bible says God gives her in Ruth chapter four. Great story. The Lord gives her conception, meaning in a normal world, it will not be there. She has a son. But the beauty of the story is found in Ruth four. And I'm going to read the last four verses. I'm going to read from verse 18 to 22. And this is why I want you to, this is where I really want you to keep in focus about the new. God is about to produce results that nobody has planned for and no one can imagine because nobody else sees tomorrow. And I want you to realize, and the Bible said, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez is the son of Judah. And Judah has a promise that out of you, the lawgiver will come and the king of Israel will come. And the Bible says, and Perez became the father of Hezron. And Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab became the father of Nashon, and Nashon became the father of Salmon. And Salmon became the father of Boaz. He's seven. And Boaz became the father of Abed, Obed. And Obed became the father of Jesse, and Jesse became the father of David. Hear me well. When God brings the new into the world through you, hear me well. He will produce results that have not only never been seen before, but they are completely unplanned for in the kingdom of darkness. You are going to make a dent in history that will never 
be closed. And so, ladies and gentlemen, what am I doing now? Well, this is where we're going to shut it down. I hope you've enjoyed the last three or four weeks. I hope that it has made it given you the impetus to pursue God, to spend time with him, to trust what he shows you, to enjoy time in his word, to spend time in prayer, realizing that God is on your side. But this is what I want you to keep in mind as we close this out. It is this, that the new is going to change things, not just for you, but for a generation. Your impetus, your involvement, your the ingredient of your dreams, your hopes and your aspiration are, are going to make all the difference. And this is a season for you, whether you be young, whether you be slightly older, whether you be male, female, whatever it may be, the new is your season and God is going to be kind to you. And so ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed it. And so let's say a prayer as we close this out. If you're listening by podcast, we really appreciate you joining in. And so Father Almighty God, we ask Father that each person that is listening, everybody that has spent time over the last four weeks looking at this, we pray Father that you take them into the new. We pray that you do as you have done throughout the Bible and bring them along this journey so that this season is one that they will never, ever forget. Father, we also pray for those who are believing God for healing. We realize that this is a season where healing is so important. And we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that, Father, you will heal bodies and heal loved ones and protect Father Almighty God from any marauding illness that may be around your people. And Father Almighty God, most of all, we ask that the results you bring into the world through the new, Father, will change the lives of not just your people, but the people around them, their cities, their towns, their churches, their homes, their businesses, their schools, their countries. And we ask it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen and amen. God bless you, ladies and gentlemen. May God be kind to you. 